Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. So we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 today. I'm really excited because I believe that God has some really special things to pull out, profound things that we can really uh, embrace into our lives uh, today from this chapter. So I want to read uh, pretty much most of, most of the chapter up front, and then we're going to dive into it. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Um, has actually some of the most famous verses that we see in this book. How many of you have ever heard of Ecclesiastes 3.11? He has made everything beautiful in its time. God has set eternity in our hearts. Aw, everybody say aw. Those are some pretty awesome uh, verses, and maybe you've seen, or maybe you've even bought, you put like a, like a little like framed verse. This is one of those framed verses that you see in people's bathrooms, you know, because it's, they're just special verses. Well, we're going to dive into the meaning of these verses, but uh, verse one says this, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Amen. And so we see in this scripture, the author is helping us understand that we lived in a very powerfully and very beautifully timed universe. And the, the word time is mentioned 30 different times in 12 verses. So there must be something that we need to get here today. And uh, things are, I think we have to recognize as we look at all these things that we can control and not control. We, can, we can't control when we're born. Was anybody, did anybody control that in their life when you were born? Okay. We can sometimes control when we die, but mostly not. And there's other things in this scripture that helps us understand that we can control some things. We can uh, control uh, when to eat and when to not and when to speak and when to have war and when to have peace. Those are some things that we can control. But the author says something here that I think we need to pay very careful attention to. In verse 11, he says this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And I want us to stop there and think about that. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. But what is the natural human response? What is it that we try to do? Well, we try to fathom it, right? We try to comprehend. We try to understand. We need to understand everything because we are answer people. And we are solution people. And we love to know. And we, what we do is we take these things that are just so unfathomable, so difficult to understand, and we simplify them, and we bring them down to a place where it's manageable for us. And this becomes a really interesting thing that we 
live by. And what happens is the wise person will understand that there are just some things in this world that we'll never be able to fathom or comprehend. But that is something that can be very difficult for us. But if I'm honest, most of us, we live into the appropriate time of the universe. Here's an example. My father's Father's Day. My father passed away a few years ago, but he was a, a pilot and he was a hobby farmer. And we lived on 10 acres. My mom is actually here today from Kansas. Um, and we lived on 10 acres and my dad would uh, harvest wheat, okay? And if you've never seen the wheat field of Kansas, when the, the wheat is ready to be harvested, it is like golden, it's beautiful. I actually have a picture right here of what this wheat looks like. Isn't that gorgeous? If you like gluten, if you like bread, it comes from this right here. There's another picture where Pradeepin and I, we actually got married after the harvest. Uh, and, and so that you can see that the wheat has already been harvested, but there is a time to plant and a time to harvest. Okay. In Kansas, we plant seed in the fall and we harvest in the summer. Is that right, mom? Yes. Okay. We plant in the fall and we harvest in the summer. I grew up on a combine and my dad would like harvest this wheat. And so there's, there's timing in that that we live into, okay? But then there are things that we cannot fathom. There are things, there is knowledge for us not to know. For instance, uh, my father-in-law was just here um, for the last couple of weeks and I'll never forget eating for the very first time his Sri Lankan chicken curry. My father-in-law is Sri Lankan. And I mean, it is to die. I mean, I had an out-of-body experience with this curry. It was the best curry I had ever tasted. I can't taste any other curry. I became obsessed with re re recreating and being able to replicate this curry. So I just studied what he did and I just watched him and I asked him for his recipe. And if you don't know, South Asian people and fathers sometimes do not actually give recipes. They just have a magic cabinet with magic spices and they make the magic curry. And so I just watch him and I cannot figure this out. So I mean, I'm telling you guys, for almost 10 years, we've been here almost 10 years, I have tried to replicate the taste of this curry and I cannot do it. No matter how, I mean, I have gotten the bone-in chicken. You're supposed to get the bone-in chicken. I have gotten the curry leaves. I have Sri Lankan curry powder from Sri Lanka, people. And I still, it, I am starting to believe that this is something that I will not be able to fathom. This is knowledge that I may never be able to know. And sometimes we, no matter how hard we live into the beautifully timed universe that we're in, we can't comprehend all of these things. Amen? Amen. And aren't we all like this? Aren't we all love this? Like me, you love. We want to figure things out. We're solution people. We want the answers. We know that if we're decent and if we're kind to others, they'll be decent and kind to us. We know that if we invest in the right things, we'll get a good return on our investment. We know that when we want to start a family, we get pregnant, we carry a baby for nine months and we have a baby. We know these things. We live into these rhythms, right? Well, what happens when no matter how sensible we are, no matter how logical we are, no matter how much we live into these rhythms, what happens when the rules don't apply all of a sudden? What happens when we're kind to others and they take advantage of us? What happens when we invest in something and it totally implodes? What happens when we take care of our bodies all our lives and we still end up with a diagnosis of cancer? What's happened here in this timed universe? We begin to realize that no matter what, there are things that we cannot 
fully fathom or comprehend. You know what? The author makes it a little bit worse. Okay, so hang on. Verse 9, he says, What do workers gain from their toil? No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And he reminds us this. No matter what, whether you comprehend it or whether you don't comprehend it, it's all Havel. It's all Havel. It's like smoke. It's like a mist. You can't hold it. You can't grab it. You can't fill the space with it. It doesn't really matter. You're gonna die, and you don't have any say what's gonna happen when you die. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) But you know what? I actually think chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes is brilliant. I think there's some really beautiful things in here today. And I believe that there's some things in here today that I want to pull out that, they're, that we want to celebrate and we need to celebrate in fathers. So fathers, I'm talking to you today. And, and I want you to know that God, I believe, has shown us some things in this scripture. And there's three things that I want to pull out uh, as we read this. I want, to, I want to pull out and celebrate that fathers protect. Fathers protect. Fathers walk in humility. They're humble. We're going to celebrate the humility of fathers. And fathers are wise. Fathers walk in wisdom. We're going to celebrate those things today. Now, listen, if you're sitting here today and you didn't have a father that protected you and you needed protected, you didn't have a father that was wise, you didn't have a father that walked in humility, maybe today is a triggering day for you, a painful day for you, I want to let you know today, and I just want to take a moment in this, in this message to acknowledge that. This isn't always a happy day for everybody. But I want you to know today that you can trust, I fully believe this, that your heavenly father deeply cares for you. And he cares so much for the pain that maybe today has caused. So can I encourage those of you where today is a little bit more of a difficult day to lean into that difficulty and let God meet you in that place of pain and in some of that, those strange feelings that are happening. Can you do that today? We're praying for you. And I believe that God has something in here for you as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number one, fathers protect I think we have to realize, as I've been saying, that there are limits to the knowledge that we have as human beings. And you know what the pain of it all is? The pain of it all is that God was the one who put eternity in our hearts. My father-in-law was the first one who ever gave me that chicken curry. I blame him for that turmoil that now I have and that I have to live with, right? And so we have to realize God put eternity. Do you know that the word eternity means forever? God has put forever in our hearts. But there is a guarantee that we will never be able to fully fathom or understand that. That is the burden that we carry. That's the burden that we carry. And he goes on to say, uh, you know what? Also, you're no better than animals. Verse 19, surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. One, as one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. How many of you have dogs that are having an existential crisis? How many of you have goldfish that are trying to figure out the meaning of life? Right? And here he says this. And he's really helping us understand that you have forever in your heart. You're never fully going to be able to grasp it. This is the burden that you carry. But there's a reason for it. And I think that one of the reasons that we don't get to know everything that we want to know is because God is protecting us. Our Heavenly Father protects us. You know, um, my, my father, who I just said was a hobby farmer, he was also a pilot, um, years ago in the early, uh, early in his career as a pilot, he worked for a small company and he would fly businessmen and women around to different states. And 
um, he would be gone like for a day or he'd be gone for multiple days or whatever. Well, each of us kids, we got an opportunity to skip school one day and go with my dad on one of his trips. And I was in fourth grade and I got to go with my dad to Indianapolis. And Indianapolis just sounded like Bora Bora to me because I didn't know any better. But I got to go on a trip with my dad, okay? And I go on this trip with my dad. We go, we have just the greatest day and we're on our way back and there are crazy storms in the sky on our way back. Now, this is not a commercial airline. This is a little plane, okay? Like a little, I don't, I don't even know what you call them, but they were smaller planes. And there was just these horrible, horrible thunderstorms. I saw lightning out the windows. I mean, it was dark all around us. Our plane was like, I mean, if you've been on a plane that just in bad weather or glowing, going through clouds, but it was the entire way. It was, it actually was like kind of crazy. I remember my dad in the middle of all of this, he said, hey, Amrita, why don't you go sit in the back and just switch, switch seats with this other guy? And he was just so calm. He didn't say anything else. I didn't know what was going on. And I was confident because my dad was flying the plane. And I remember landing at an airport when we were on our way home that was not the airport that we had left that morning. And I, I had no idea and I, it didn't matter. So we just landed. We got in a car. We go home. My mom's freaking out because there were, there were huge thunderstorms. But you know what? I didn't have a clue what was going on. We actually had to land at a different airport because it was an emergency landing because we couldn't get back to our uh, airport back at home. And we were flying around, I didn't know this either, but my dad literally flew around a tornado in the sky. Isn't that crazy? But I didn't have a clue. My dad protected me. He protected me from the fear. He protected me from being like so scared that we're just gonna fall out of the sky and die. He stayed calm. He made sure that his little fourth grade daughter was safe and knew that she could have confidence that she was safe. And there's an example in the Old Testament that I love that I want to read to us today where God does a similar thing. He's actually protecting his people and it's kind of frustrating to them, but he's actually protecting them. The book of Exodus we see uh, where God actually manifests himself in several different ways, but he never actually shows his face. He never shows his face to his people. He manifests himself in uh, a burning bush. You guys remember that story with Moses. He manifests himself uh, in a pillar of fire and a great cloud. And at some point, the Israelites are right, God, listen, we won't worship any other God, but can you show us something of yourself? We want to see your face. Show us your face. This is all too ambiguous for us. We need to see you. And God actually rebukes the Israelites for wanting this and for asking him for this. Look at this. Deuteronomy 4.15 says, You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Arab out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. God knew that they would make for themselves an idol. And you know, I don't know if you remember this, but does anybody know what the second verse of the ten, or the second commandment of the Ten Commandments is? Anybody remember this? You shall not make for yourselves an idol. And then he knew what their next move was going to be. So he says this in verse 19. And when you look up into the sky and you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you are now. 
Essentially, God says this. All you need to know is that I saved you and you are people of my inheritance. There are some things you don't need to know. There is knowledge I'm going to protect you from. And I need you to just know that I am the one who saved you. So you need to be okay with that and let the other mysteries go. And this is what he's saying to his people. And I think the temptation for us is we say, well, God has put eternity. He's put it forever in our hearts. That means that there should be no more mystery and we should know everything. And we need to hold it. And we need to describe it. And we need to touch it. And we need to feel it. And we need to fill the space. But that's not what God is saying at all. He doesn't require us to be answer people and solution people. God is the answer person and the solution person. Amen. I love this quote by Paul Young. He says, when you accept the beauty of God's mystery, you don't have to be right all the time. You don't have to have all the answers. You can love a good question and know that God can be found in good questions. So today I celebrate fathers who protect, who know that there is some knowledge that their kids don't need to know right now. And so they protect, just like my father protected uh, when I was on that plane. Fathers, we celebrate you for your wisdom, for your protection that you provide to your family and to your kids. Amen. Amen. So we celebrate fathers who protect. I also want to celebrate fathers who are humble. The writer of Ecclesiastes goes on to say in verse 16, and I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wickedness in the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. You know, these verses show us that not everything is the way that it should be. We have injustice. We deal with wickedness in the world. And it's difficult for us to comprehend. I think that we as human beings, we want the most answers when things are the most difficult and the most confusing and the most painful, right? And I, I want to talk to us today about uh, humility because I think sometimes when we're in pain or we see the world in pain, it's very difficult for us to, to have to have the answers. And we cross over, watch this, we cross over from wanting the answers to feeling like we have the right to the answers. And that is a word called entitlement. And what is the opposite of entitlement? I believe it's humility. And we have to be careful that we don't cross over this line. I want to show you. Here's an example. In 1988, a man by the name of Edgar C. Wisenant, a NASA engineer and Bible student, wrote a book, Eight Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. You don't have to put that quote up quite yet. The rapture is this belief, if you don't know, the rapture is this belief that Jesus is coming back uh, sometime and he's going to take all the Christians. Well, this book, you guys, uh, caught wind, and it was sold. Uh, there were 300,000 books sold. And this guy, this guy Edgar, he was so sure about his prediction that he actually said uh, in a book that Richard uh, Baines uh, wrote in this quote, he's quoted saying this, only if the Bible, now you can put that up, only if the Bible is an error am I wrong. And I say that to every preacher in town. This guy was so sure that Jesus was coming back in 1988. And you know what? I got news for you. If you didn't know, Jesus did not come back in 1988. I was six years old. I'm still here. 
He did not come back. And when he didn't come back, you would think that this guy would sort of hum humbly say, you know what, I was wrong, it's okay, you know, whatever. But you know what he did in instead? This guy had the nerve to write a follow-up book. And guess what the title of the follow-up book was called? It was called 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1989. Wow. This guy had some guts, right? I mean, make your predictions. Make your predictions. But to say I'm so confident that the Bible would be an error if I'm wrong is crossing the line. Is crossing the line into entitlement. We cross the line from desiring answers to think that we have the right to them. There's a story in John chapter 9 I want to tell you really quick. I'm going to read it in the message version. It says this, walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world light. Verse 6, he said this and then spit in the dust, made a clay paste with saliva, rubbed the paste on the uh, blind man's eyes and said, go wash at the pool of Siloam. The man went and washed and saw. He saw for the very first time. But did you notice what the disciples said when they encountered this man? The first thing they said is, whose fault is this? Who sinned? Who created this situation? And, and you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I understand where the disciples were at, if I'm honest. Because I think sometimes we can see some of the most horrible things happen to people in this world, that this is what we do. And this is what the disciples did. They needed a reason that would make the horrible suffering of this man make sense. I've been there. I've been there. I think that we all do this. And what does Jesus say? He says, listen, you're asking the wrong question. I don't want to have a theological debate right now. I don't want to talk about that. You know what? I'm Jesus. I am so moved by the fact that this man has suffered his whole life that all I want to do is get to him and I want to give him healing and touch his body. He didn't want to have a theological debate in that time. Some of us feel like we have the right to know the answers and won't stop until we get them. And our need for answers become idols. And so we have to be careful. Have you ever gone through something difficult and a well-intentioned person said something that just made you want to punch them in the face? You know, I have a few examples here. And again, well-intentioned people, okay? They don't mean to. Um, and so you're going through something, it's painful, it's difficult, whatever, and uh, someone comes up to you and they just says, you know what, God saves the toughest assignments for the toughest soldiers. And you just want to punch them in the face, right? God gives, uh, we actually got this a lot when our son was diagnosed with autism, autism and, and, and we were grieving and going through a lot, and, and it, people said, God gives special kids to special parents. And I'm like, oh my, what does that say about you and your kid, okay? I don't know. God doesn't give you, here's another one. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. The Lord works in mysterious ways. That might be true, but again, timing, right? Timing. Everything happens for a reason. Here's another one. Every time God closes a door, he opens a window. I mean, can you imagine closing the door on someone? They're looking through the window like, oh, no, what's going on in there? You know? Here's another one. It's all a part of God's plan. Well, tell that to the victims of assault. Tell that to victims of poverty. Tell that to people who have lost their children in a school shooting. Oof. 
We often suspect that where there is more than ordinary, where there is a more than ordinary sufferer, there is more than ordinary sinner. And this is what the disciples were thinking. This is kind of where their minds went. The prosperity church is often addicted to self-rule. It manages the, manages the spectacle of pain with ceaseless posi- posi- positivity. When my son was diagnosed with autism several years ago, uh, I really just I, I ran myself into the ground looking for answers. And, I, and we, we spent some time just getting him support and help that he needed, and that was good. But then I began to switch over, and I began to ask some really big questions that are really difficult to answer. And, and the ones that I began to ask were, why did this happen, and what will his future be like, and why won't God just heal him? We did everything right. I didn't eat sushi for nine months when I was pregnant with him, and I love sushi. Why did this happen? And I want to tell you, this is where I crossed over the line. I crossed over the line from asking these questions. Listen, I was a hurting mom in pain. God not scared of your questions. He wasn't scared of my questions, so I'm not coming against your desire for answers. What I'm saying is I crossed over the line when I said, you know what? If God is not going to give me any answers, then why would I trust him for anything else? And all of a sudden, I become a person that has the right to know why did this happen? Kate Ballard says it like this. Fairness is one of the most compelling claims of the American dream. A vision of success propelled by hard work, determination, and maybe the occasional pair of bootstraps. It tells a story about an unlimited horizon and the personal characteristics that are required to waltz toward it. It is the language of entitlements. It is the careful math of deserving. And I want to be careful here because I want you to know it's okay to be curious. It's okay to ask God questions. But you need to be okay when you can't fathom or comprehend anything. You need to trust that God may be protecting you, and you need to posture yourself in a place of humility to know that he knows better than you. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And some of us, we, we are struggling. We are tired because we have been looking for answers for years. And can I just tell you that that is not humility. That is not faith. That is a coping mechanism. That is a coping mechanism. We need something or someone to blame. To believers in the prosperity gospel, surrender sounds like defeat. There are no setbacks, just setups. There are no trials, just tests of character. Tragedies are simply opportunities to claim a bigger, better miracle. Does the prosperity gospel's never give up spirit really produce resilient believers? Church, I just want to tell you today, wanting answers is not wrong. But being entitled to them is. And we need to be careful with that. And so today, I want us to ask, do what Jesus said. He said, you're asking the wrong question. Well, what is the right question? Well, he told us in that scripture. The right right question to ask is, well, what can God do? What can God do? And so I celebrate today the humility of fathers who understand that our hope is not in our answers. That our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in the one who knows better than all of us. And that is a posture of humility. And dads, those of you that are walking in humility, who, you know, I think dads get a lot of pressure to need the answers. They get a lot of questions from their kids and, and wives and people all around them. But you know what, dads? For those of you that are walking in humility and say, I don't know, but God knows. And what I know is that he is in charge and he loves you. So we celebrate that in you, fathers. Amen? 
Amen. So we celebrate fathers who protect, we celebrate fathers who walk in humility, and we celebrate fathers who are wise. So the author of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, he ends the message saying this. So I concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. I think this is a healthy perspective. Enjoy your work. Lean into the mystery. Don't spend all your time trying to find answers. This is wisdom. This is wisdom. I celebrate fathers today who may not have all the answers, but know how to rest in God. We are watching, fathers. We see you resting in God. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those of you that need a rest from needing to figure out all the answers and know everything, I want you to take this verse and hold it in your heart. You're heavy and, and heavy burdened. God will give you rest. God will give you rest. So as I close this morning, I want to ask this question. I want you to ask yourself this question. What mysteries, what knowledge, what answers have I been seeking that don't belong to me? Another way of asking is, what knowing has become idolatrous for me? It's a big question. I spent a lot of time on this question this week. In the place and in the middle of the confusion and the complexity, I want you to know that you can find rest in God. It is wisdom to find rest in him. Amen. I want to end with this story. You know, one of the gifts that I've seen my husband give to our children is this place and this posture of humility and protection and wisdom where even when my husband felt abandoned by God and even when he felt so deeply in despair, he still loved Jesus. And he still just leaned into the unknown answers. And I watched my kids watch him do this. And I remember one time we were coming home from the park and my son was really upset that we were leaving the park. And I mean, there was no reasoning with this child at this moment, right? And so we like didn't, you know, we're just trying to get home and we don't have strollers anymore, you know? So we're just like, okay, like how do we, you know, we just got to walk home, drag this kid home or whatever. But I remember Pastor Pradeep and he got down eye level with my son. He got down on his knees and he just waited out this tantrum and he just waited out his own need for answers his own feelings of why does this have to be my son's situation and he waited it out and I'll never forget seeing this moment where my son made eye contact with him and my husband had a connection with him there was like this breakthrough where he just connected with him and I celebrate that in my husband and I celebrate that in you fathers when you stop and you say I don't know really what to do I don't have all the answers but I'm going to recognize that the fruit of my labor is something to celebrate. And raising this child is something to celebrate. I remember that moment. So we celebrate dads today who protect, who walk in humility, and who operate with wisdom. Amen. I'm going to ask Pastor Pradeepin to come up here, and he's actually going to pray a prayer of blessing over all of you fathers today. And then I'm going to make a special invitation uh, for those of you that want to give your life to Jesus. Let's bow our heads. 
dear Father, our Heavenly Father, I lift up all the fathers, the father figures, the hopeful fathers in this room. Lord, I just pray a blessing of your life, of your power, of your spirit. I pray that you would open up the gates for grace and humility and wisdom and strength for protection. Lord, for those of us who are wandering and trying to figure out how to give of ourselves, how to love others when we have our own insecurities, when we have our own pains and our sins and our faults, and at the same time, we're trying to raise people up around us so that they can have a better future, they can have a better foundation than maybe we even received. For those of us who are trying to live up to the reputation of the fathers before us, and we don't know how we could ever measure up, Lord. We're so thankful that we have you as an example of a father who loves us in all things, in all ways, in all the details, the big and the small. So Lord, I pray blessing. I pray peace. I pray that the fellowship of your spirit would rest in all here today, Lord. So have your way. Help us to father well. Help us to create life. Help there to be breakthroughs and comfort in all that we receive from you. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that we would receive everything that you have to offer for us so that we can freely give it out to those around us. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.